0: Welcome to The Honest Report, a weekly podcast analyzing media coverage of the Arab-Israeli conflict, anti-Semitism, and radical Islamic terrorism.
1: The Islamic State group posted a video calling on Palestinians to attack Israeli soldiers and civilians.
0: At least five killed in B'nai B'raq after the assailant went on a shooting spree firing from a motorcycle.
1: Here's your host, Rob Walker.
0: It's hardly news that Israel is in a tough neighborhood, with Syria and Hezbollah in Lebanon on the Jewish state's doorstep, and the Islamic Republic of Iran, a menacing regime looking to develop nuclear weapons which wield significant influence across the region as well. But the Russian-Ukrainian war raging in Europe is also now impacting Israel directly, specifically the country's ability to operate against Iranian threats in Syria. So what do all of these changing dynamics mean for Israel and Israel's security? In this week's podcast, we sit down with Brian Hay. Brian is the president of the McKenzie Institute for the Study of Terror, Propaganda, and Social Instability. It's an independent and non-partisan think tank based in Toronto. Welcome to the Honest Report Podcast. Brian, welcome to the Honest Report Podcast.
1: delighted to be with you, Robert.
0: The pleasure is all mine. You are the president of the McKenzie Institute. Um, of course, you have your hands full on a lot of different geopolitical and security issues. You have coming up on the 24th of November in the evening, a, a program with Israel's Consul General to Toronto and Western Canada, Idit Shamir. Um, and she'll be talking, obviously, this is being recorded prior to that event. Um, but there's a lot that is faced by Israel right now, uh, you know, if you want to talk about locally and more broadly. You have a new Israeli government, uh, which is, has been described by the news media as, it is, as the most right-wing ever. What that means and how true that is, is a separate story. You have uh, the Russo-Ukrainian war and the impact there. You have the um, ongoing tensions with, of course, Lebanon. Um, you have Iran. How does how does somebody make sense out of this, uh, Brian, in terms of uh, understanding what is more of a pressing, urgent threat facing Israel and sort of just what is a, an ongoing uh, security challenge that's going to be there forever?
1: Well, I think, Robert, the key thing is that there's no one conversation is going to address or certainly settle everything that, that is at, at uh, risk today. Uh, clearly, what we hope to do with this dinner is to gain a better understanding of where Israel is today, both domestically and internationally. There's a lot to talk about it, in terms of Israel's domestic success. The economy is vibrant. The shekel is very strong. Uh, a lot of people are still immigrating to Israel, as you know, making aliyah uh, to Israel, and uh, this is an important thing to understand how Israel is is growing and and developing. Uh, domestically and it's obviously the site of some very sophisticated technology uh, in different fields medicine, military, computer technology etc. I mean let's face it there's a I think there's a, a weekly if not more frequent direct flight from Tel Aviv to San Francisco uh, the connection on the technology side is so strong so that's an important thing to understand. What's happening in uh, with Israel domestically, because it's domestic strength is the basis upon which its endurance is based. And it is in a difficult area, a challenging area. And there are not not a few uh, organizations in the area, not necessarily nation states alone, but organizations that wish to see Israel go away in one form or another. So it's domestic strength is the foundation stone for its security. And obviously we're very interested in security. So we hope to learn some insights from from, uh, Mrs. Shamir, the Consul General, but also at the dinner, uh, Mr. Yaron Dekel is going to be there. And Ron is now the regional director of of, um, one of the key Israeli organizations uh, throughout history. He's also been recognized and internationally uh, awarded Recognition for being an outstanding journalist over the years. I'm sure, he'll have some additional insights, which perhaps one might not be able to say from a diplomatic point of view. And uh, we're looking forward to a an informative, a thorough, and perhaps even one might call a robust discussion.
0: So, um, it, no doubt that will certainly um, meet all of those criteria. You know, tell me from certainly from your perspective, approaching this from a from a geopolitical perspective, not only from Israel's perspective, but certainly here uh, here in Canada, North America, how, let's talk about what's in the news, you know, in terms of uh, Iran is uh, making, or Russia, it seems, making quite effective use out of Iranian-made drones. Um, what does that mean for Israel and Hezbollah? Is it a surprise that Hezbollah hasn't been using these in the past? Uh, do you think that uh, uh, they will be using this how how important and how relevant do you think these are as far as uh, Israel and indeed you know uh, the West is concerned
1: Robert if I could predict the future I would be probably the head of the UN so it's very very hard to uh, to decide uh, how to answer your question in terms of ongoing relations but one can say something I think is per- accurate and I think even useful Russia plays a very very uh, many sided, many faceted role in the Middle East. On the one hand, there are many, many people of Russian background in Israel, as we all know. Uh, we know that Russia has very strong relations with Syria, which is not exactly the friendliest nation to uh, Israel in the area. We know that Russia has an alliance, uh, on not only an, an economic alliance, but uh, one based on oil and some military aspects with Iran. Uh, Russia at the same time has relations with with uh, Turkey, and Turkey has a rather quixotic relationship with, with uh, Israel over the years. It comes and goes, uh, depending on Israel, uh, uh, Turkey's fortunes at any time. But I think the key thing is to recognize that Russia is a very, very astute player. So on the one hand, they have cautioned Israel about becoming involved in supplying military equipment to Ukraine. But on the other hand, they have not impeded in any way, as far as I know, any shipments from Israel to Ukraine for humanitarian uh, relief. They've made it very, very clear that they don't want Israel to supply Armenia with um, any of Israeli drones. At the same time, Turkey is providing Azerbaijan with drones. Iran, on the other hand, yeah, which is providing Russia with drones, is backing Armenia. So, so hold on a minute.
0: That's <laughs> This is a great opportunity to take a step back a little bit here. Tell us a little bit about perhaps a lot of people listening have seen Uh, ongoing conflict and war between uh, Azerbaijan and Armenia. What's the backstory, obviously, briefly, uh, between the two? And how are they part of a larger uh, proxy war in in the Middle East? Can you sort of give us a bit of an idea there?
1: Well, Armenia, as we all know, has been a historic entity in the Middle East. Uh, There are many, many historical notes, if you will, uh, about Armenia and how they've got on with their neighbors. They're a landlocked country. Uh, there is the, the whole question of the Armenian Holocaust in its own right uh, with Turkey, which Turkey vehemently denies, but the Armenian people point to photographs and, and other records of it. So Turkey and Armenia do not get along at all. Uh, Armenia and Azerbaijan, which is now allied with Turkey, have been fighting over different parts of um, that area for years. There's an area that I can never pronounce Nagar or something like that, uh, that they have been, I won't say squabbling. That's a demeaning word, but they've certainly been uh, exchanging uh, real military activity over who owns what part of that land. And also Transanistra is another area that's part of that. And it's been an ongoing sore. In the relationship between these two countries. And they in turn are allied with people who you wouldn't necessarily think are allies. So you have Turkey and Azerbaijan allied, and you have Iran allied with Armenia, and you have Russia concerned about both of them. They have relations with Turkey, they have relations with strong relations with Iran, and yet they're the protector of Armenia and they have a base in Armenia. So uh, it all depends, I guess, what day of the week you're looking at things, you can get a different point of view, a very, very complex situation, just like in some ways the relationship between Russia, Syria and Israel, where Israel regularly attacks Iranian elements, again, an ally of Russia, in Syria, again, an ally of Russia, but they do so with Russia saying, you can do that, but you can't do something else. So Russia is putting a leash, if you will, on uh, what Iranian, uh, sorry, Israel's freedom of, of action is with respect to Syria, which in fact is a base not only for Hezbollah, which has fought wars with Israel, but in fact is a staging area uh, and a storage area for a lot of Iranian, and I say again, Iranian equipment and personnel. So uh, you have to look at through this through, a, through a, a multi-layered lens, if you will. It's a very, very complex set of relations and one never knows on what day things may boil up on one side or the other. I think that the bottom line is everybody appreciates that Israel is a powerhouse in the region, it has, desires it has reasonable desires for peace and security and at the same time there are those who would destabilize it and those who would wish to eliminate it and thus we have an ongoing security issue for that country in particular
0: so would it be fair i mean uh, as you pointed out uh, brian israel has been operating in syria helping to take out both syrian and iranian um, threats um you know, weapons convoys, etc., And Russia as the de facto power in Syria has been giving somewhat of a blind, uh, you know, looking the other way but allowing it to certainly happen. Um, at the same time, Israel is under a lot of pressure from Ukraine, from the United States, from NATO to arm Ukraine, not just with uh, humanitarian uh, aid um, but with lethal resources as well. Uh, would it be fair to say that if Israel were to do that, uh, that could change the game in Syria for uh, what Russia allows Israel to do? I mean, h- how does Israel make these decisions? Right, it's caught between a rock and a hard place. H- how do you see? Not asking for a crystal ball, but how are these decisions made, and h- how are they balancing these competing uh, domestic uh, national security interests?
1: Well, I think the answer is, you know, two words: very carefully because it is so complex. Um, I know Zelensky, President Zelensky, has asked specifically for Iron Dome um, supplies from Israel, and Israel thought it over under the previous government and basically said no, uh, because they realized it would be a very significant escalation, but also Russia made it very, very clear that that would be a red line in the relationship between R- Russia and Israel, that Israel should not cross. And it would change, to your point, the game dramatically uh, for Israel and Syria and elsewhere. So I I can't see that happening in the short run. Now we have a new government coming in, you know, Netanyahu um, is forming a new government. And in your opening remarks, you suggested it was more right of center. It certainly is relative to uh, the Lapid government before. It's hard to say that he, you know, won't consider making some decisions in that, re- in, that, in that regard. But then one has to stand back and ask yourself a question. Other than the fact that the president of Ukraine, it happens to be Jewish and that there's a substantial Jewish population in the Ukraine, other than humanitarian interest, how important is the Ukraine to Israel? It's a source of food. Yes. Russia is a source of food, and other places are a source of food. In strategic terms, I would argue that Ukraine is not as critical to Israel, and much in all as the activities in Ukraine are abhorrent, uh, as Syria might be, for example, or Iran might be, because Syria is a next-door neighbor hosting er- enemies of Israel, and Iran is a a self-identified enemy of Israel. So if the Russians are going to play a role in restraining Iran, which they are and have, then I think you know, Israel is going to look and say, we need Russia. We need Russia to allow us to continue our operations in Syria. We need Russia to keep Iran on a leash uh, in terms of dealing with us. Clearly, the United States is not doing much with respect to restraining uh, the Iranian desire for nuclear arms. The um, JCPOA negotiations are ongoing and nothing is really coming of them. But if you look at them anyway, you could say, well, Iran never signed off on the original arrangement anyway. So what's kept them back? The answer is probably equipment, technology, a casual and occasional intervention uh, indirectly by Israel. And I think Russia, Russia too has a, a role to play in restraining Iran and that role may be greater than the United States, for example, hard to say.
0: And uh, it really just final, I'm sorry, I know we're, we're uh, covering a lot in a brief time here, but uh, one of the areas which uh, perhaps the, uh, the Consul General will be addressing it, which, of course, is uh, Israel's um, gas deal with uh, with Lebanon. How do you see that? I mean, obviously, this wouldn't have happened. A lot of observers have said uh, Hezbollah is the de facto power in Lebanon, and this wouldn't have been signed by the Lebanese government without Hezbollah's um, tacit approval. So what do we make of that? Has Hezbollah gotten uh, you know soft in its old age? And if not, um, then what is Hezbollah's... Goal here. What's their aim? There seems to be, although it's not a peace agreement, this is definitely uh, a step forward. So, how how are we to interpret this?
1: Well, I would use one word: money. Um, Hezbollah, like any other organization, quasi government or otherwise, wants money, needs money. Secondly, Hezbollah was the party behind the material that exploded in the port of Beirut, and which destroyed uh, most of the port, a large part of the city in a huge part of the, the Lebanese economy. So it's in Hezbollah's interest, politically and otherwise, certainly economically, to see Lebanon uh, more recovered, if you will, more robust economically than it is today. I mean, I have friends who are Lebanese, Druze and others, and they tell me that the situation in Lebanon is, is terrible. And you have to remember that back in the 50s, Beirut was considered the pearl of the Mediterranean. It was beautiful. And today it's nothing compared to what it was. So Hezbollah, if it's going to retain some tolerance, if not support by the people, has got to be perceived as having a positive as well as a military role in Lebanon. And I think that ultimately the the value behind uh, allowing Lebanon as a country to sign the deal on the Leviathan and, the, and uh, sorry, the other fields uh, that are jointly in effect now owned by Israel and, and, and Lebanon. It's in everybody's interest to cooperate here because it generates revenue that the region desperately needs and can benefit from. And I think the wiser minds in, uh, in Hezbollah probably recognize that.
0: Wonderful. Well, uh, certainly a lot to uh, to stay tuned with. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for your, uh, your whirlwind of expertise and covering a lot of different uh, uh, areas in such a brief time. And uh, best of luck with your upcoming event.
1: Thank you so much, Robert. Pleasure to be with you.
0: And that's today's edition of the Honest Report podcast. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to our mailing list, our podcast channel, and follow us on social media for the most up-to-date news. If you like what you've heard, please consider a donation to support our continued efforts at www.honestreporting.ca slash donate. Until next time, thank you so much for listening.